0: Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, wait a second. I apologize for that. My mistake. There we go. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Again, you're welcome. It's good to be <laughs> with you. And and I want to give a mazel tov to the Dworkin family, my grandson, Anachem Dworkin, became a bar mitzvah and is um, a really very special kid and uh, had a wonderful simchle.
0: Mazel tov and mazel tov to the entire family and as we always point out uh, there are so many messages, so many important things that we as grandparents, now I could say that, we as grandparents need to transmit to our grandchildren and you no doubt Malcolm take that
1: very seriously. I think it's the ultimate revenge against the anti-Semites, against the Nazi era when so many of us lost the third generations back or second generation back, in many cases, even first generation back. And now you see how many people, even you, can qualify to be a grandfather now.
0: Imagine that, I'll tell you. They'll take,
1: anybody. <laughs> They'll take anybody into this club at this point. Yeah, there should be a test that you'd have to pass before you go back to. Yeah, I hear that. Um,
0: all right, so we have a lot to talk about from both sides of the world. And we will begin in a minute with what's happening on this side. Of the world. But first, we should acknowledge because people asked me to uh, ask you uh, about um, uh, the leadership and your relationship, which I assume you had with Harav Gershon Edelstein.
1: I actually did and uh, went to see him with my family, uh, and he was so gracious and and warm, uh, a humble man. But to me, uh, I have to say that the pictures of his giving a shear in the hospital just hours before he was NIFTER, before his passing, it's the most moving thing you can imagine. And you see the term change, taking notes, and at age 100, I'm sure, the number of times he, he made a serum on all of shots, and, and yet he, he wrote notes, and he had some of the was long-term students there in the room with him and the others on by Zoom. And he delivered this year shortly before he just quietly passed away. It's unbelievable.
0: Pretty amazing, uh, to say the least. And um, for those who worry about leadership in the uh, religious community, especially the ultra-Orthodox community of Israel, uh, I-, I don't think there's a need to worry. It seems that there are many Torah giants who are qualified to take the mantle of leadership going forward.
1: You can't replace people like him or Rav Steinman's itself or of Kanyevsky's itself. But... Thank God, and he provides, and each generation gets its leadership. And look, there's more Torah being learned today than any time probably in history. There are more people, and I heard this from Rav Steinman, who lectured somebody about appreciating what Israel offers, that 150,000 or more people are learning full-time in Israel this has probably never been true in Jewish history.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, this is a topic we could discuss through an entire morning, but uh, the, the point you're making is so well taken. Speaking of Israel, and speaking of supporting Israel and keeping it strong, we have an opportunity this Sunday in New York City for the 75th birthday of the State of Israel to take to the streets on Fifth Avenue. Um, it, it's no secret, Malcolm, that uh, that uh, the entire presentation of this year's parade, which, again, kudos to the JCRC of New York and everybody who's associated with the UJA Federation, th- those of us who still feel it's important to have... Have this parade. Uh, we have to continuously thank the organizers, rightfully so. But this one, as so many events in Jewish life recently, seems to be clouded a drop uh, by the uh, prospect of protests. Uh, there are people on both sides of the world, it seems, not just Saturday nights in Israel, uh, who are not happy with the uh, current makeup of the Israeli government. Your... Uh, assessment of people taking to the streets in New York City thousands of miles away from Israel to protest in a foreign country the Israeli government?
1: Well first of all obviously the parade given all the anti-Israel activity and all those who denounce and get upset whether it's by a CUNY law school Commencement speaker or others attacking Israel, attacking Jewish people this is a way to go out into the streets and demonstrate and so many non-Jews come and when they see empty streets it's it's really depressing and, and diminishes the impact of the event so first of all I would urge people to come out early, be there when the parade kicks off so that the streets are full on both sides and the the outrage that people would come from Israel, the protest leaders, and come here to uh, to bring a domestic issue to the streets of New York and disrupt the parade. And the... the just think, if this would be a group of right-wing people, huh. how the media would be all over, or Haredi people, or others. But they seem somehow to be very tolerant of it, either because they identify with it, or Maybe people don 't know what they 're planning, but they when I confronted them, they would not say to me that they 're not going to disrupt uh, and do a sit down or do other things to to disrupt so on one side, you have party on the other side you 're going to have the protesters and, and and other groups. I mean, what if every group that has some sort of a gripe or wants to make a point starts engaging in that kind of activities very shortly you don 't have no parade and you know the police become have to get involved and it inevitably leads to bad consequences i would urge anybody who has influence with the groups involved to to use it to dissuade them from it <coughs> they want to carry signs about judicial reform it's their business but why why detract from the one demonstration of jewish unity uh, on the streets of new york and the opportunity to to show that we, we truly love and appreciate the privilege this generation has to have a vibrant and dynamic Jewish state.
0: It's a unique opportunity on Sunday, and we've debated in the past or at least discussed whether the parade uh, is still necessary at this point or still needs to be presented each and every year. And I don't know, I think you can make an argument every year, depending on the atmosphere. Uh, it, no matter how much things have changed and no matter how different they may be from the past, I think you can make an argument every year that it's important to publicly demonstrate support for Israel. And here's our opportunity to do so, and I hope people take advantage. You know, someone at the JCRC said to me, You know, there's a float. Sunday uh, of uh, a united front of um, of Brooklyn churches for Israel. Can you imagine how they feel marching up Fifth Avenue, knowing how many people uh, you know from the Jewish community are not. There to support Israel, are not there at the parade, not to mention, of course, as you said, you know, those who are considering disrupting the parade because of you know, political points of view. I mean, could you imagine? It reminded me of, you told us, I don't know if it was Clinton or Bush, who was it that once said to you uh, that I don't need to be a bigger Zionist than, than the people of Israel when there was some issue that they were trying to um, to get one of the presidents to, to you know, be more
1: uh, enthusiastic. Yeah, be more pro-Israel.
0: Right. <laughs> he said, I don't have to be a big... Uh, that's a, I feel like the, some of these churches should be saying to us, I need to be more Zionistic than, than the mainstream New York Jews in terms of coming out to demonstrate support for Israel. So that's a, a unique opportunity this coming Sunday to celebrate seventy, and I'm hoping the seventy-five does bring uh, more of a reaction from people. They feel the need to be there. The weather's supposed to be great. As we keep on saying, bring your children and grandchildren. As we keep on saying, bring your parents and grandparents, and just make it a demonstration in support of Israel. And I hope, uh, I hope that there are people listening. Uh, when you just address those who might have connections to those who are thinking of disrupting the parade, I really hope that there are people listening that'll take that type of action. You know, In the old days, Malcolm. And and, and, the two points I need to make, number one, you know how a still photograph or a short video, even if a demonstration is 10 seconds, you know how those things today go viral. You know, in the old days, it took time for the photographers to get their cameras out. (laughs) Now, at a moment's notice, these images are around the world. So that's one of the things that some of these protesters should be thinking about, uh, if, if that resonates at all with them. Uh, That's the first thing I would say. These things tend to really go uh, viral almost immediately. And the second thing is, in the old days, Malcolm, and I'm sure you remember this from, you know, from uh, negotiating with Jewish leaders of all backgrounds, you know, one of the negotiating points was always take the protests off the street. We will work behind the scenes. We will do what's possible. We will show that we are, in fact, you know, ready to stand side by side with you no matter what the issue was, right? or left wing but take the demonstrations off the streets and very often that worked. i, I could cite examples where it worked. i'm sure you have a million examples where it worked where you were able to stand up with certain groups and say i'll be there for your interest but i need you to get this off the streets of especially here in the united states and it seems that that tactic doesn't even work anymore
1: i think that's true yeah unfortunately on
0: the CUNY thing, you can imagine how many people have asked me to bring this up with you. Um, I, I need to know your reaction to the reaction. I'm not even sure because I didn't really take a close look at the New York Times this week. I don't know which publications outside of the New York Post made a major deal about the commencement speech. But again, you could give us your reaction about how the media in the United States reacted to it. And then in general, okay, I know a lot of you know, mem- members of the Board of Trustees applauded for her. I get the whole thing. They're in a position on stage and all that Stuff. But was there any reaction outside of from those who you'd expect uh, to come out against her? Was there any reaction of any significance from those who have influence in the CUNY system?
1: Well, certainly it's not been a sufficient reaction, uh, if, if, if at all. I think that people forget that this taxpayers of New York and New York State pay for CUNY, pay for that woman's education. If she really feels as she does, she's welcome to go back to Yemen if she thinks she'll have a better life there. And to use that platform and then to see the dean applauding at the end of it. And whether it was just an automatic reaction or not, it was certainly a thoughtless reaction. Right. And the, the fact that the New York Post really did does deserve credit for, for uh, being out front and, and exposing this. Uh, but the lack of coverage, the lack of of, uh, of um, reaction until very late when many people started to, city council, other people started to speak about it. But what are the consequences? The fact that the board of trustees put out a statement saying it's unacceptable, et cetera, but no word of punishment, no word of accountability. So it's, you know, it's like a, a minor slap in the face for a major assault, and, you know, think if this had been Somebody who made a racist or anti-gay or other kind of speech there on that occasion, what the reaction? There would have there would have been huge demonstrations. It'd be burning down CUNY, and the funding would have been challenged. And yet, there's no consequence. And that's to, to me the, the the challenge that you have. That kind of a bigot and and racist, anti-Semite uh, speaking is and elected by the students who must have known her points of view, or at least many of them did. Uh, And it's not the first time. This is the second time that they had such a kind of a speaker. Uh, I think that this is really uh, quite outrageous. And I still think we should press for serious consequences that the mayor, the members of the board of, of CUNY, the state, hold them to account as to who was responsible, how it happened, And why there was no preview of the speech. They know what her extremist views were. And especially with the experience of it happening before. This is inexcusable
0: and I, I think Mayor Adams actually had a you know an interesting reaction to it um, but but even you know, the statements against NYPD i don't even I know i don't even know if NYPD leadership responded to it the statements against the American military does Washington say anything about this when someone goes ahead and, and condemns them and of course obviously when it comes to Israel you know everyone seems to be silent but you know someone said to me something this week someone from Israel said to me something this week when mayor tamari was murdered this week by terrorists in Israel. Another, you know, one of the young fathers in this case in Israel who was uh, uh, who, who was murdered in this terrorist attack in the in the Shomron. Um, someone said to me, you know, I, I, I'm I'm becoming sort of you know I'm just getting used to these things. Like it's not it, it doesn't affect me nearly as much because I don't know maybe the volume of the attacks or you know just doing you know going through all this news cycle surrounding these terror attacks over and over and over. And I'm wondering if we're so inundated now with news about everything and those of us who pay attention to what's being said about Israel certainly, you know, hear statement and statement and speech and speech after speech and speech. I'm wondering if we're just becoming numb to the entire thing and that and that as much as you and I and others call for, you know, more reaction and more anger uh, in reaction to speeches like this, maybe just, you know, people are just used to it at this point.
1: Well, we can never become insensitive to these kind of attacks because it's a license to kill to kill Jews. We saw that the State Department this week came out and, and testimony in testimony for the Senate, being pressed on it. The Assistant Secretary of State for Near East uh, admitted that uh, they failed on pay to slay, that the Palestinians continue, and they did condemn the policy. But the fact is that they continue to give funding and they say, but the funding doesn't go to the PA or to the PLO, both of which are designated as terrorist entities in ways, and and, uh, the... the, Senator Cruz and others really hammered home the message. We're paying for the terrorists. So the murderer of Tamimi can stand to make a million dollars more over the lifetime Uh, as family because they get a house or they get a pension. They get three times what a, a worker for the PA would get. The amount of money is about 300 million a year that goes for pay to slay to to pay for the terrorists and in jails or their families if they're killed Uh, so number one you cannot become indifferent to it no matter god forbid if there are more cases but this guy's birthday was this week i think he was 32 Uh. He, he left behind two little children and the uh, the reaction I mean you don't expect uh, NPR or the New York Times or others to pay much attention to it and I'm sure Amanapur will say it was a shootout yeah. uh, um, but you know we really have to understand that it puts each of us in jeopardy by that every one of us and not just Jews the non-Jews too and and you and you see that more and more Non-Jews are beginning to react to anti-Semitism because they realize that it's affecting them, that it's going to affect every whole society. And once you unleash these forces of hate, and we have so many important issues going on right now, that it's not just here that you, you don't see uh, the kind of reaction to to the events that are going on, you know, and and you see how the mythologies can, you know, gain credence. There's a story about the village of Tantura, which is uh, south of Haifa, that goes back to the 1948 war, where they claimed that Israel massacred the people. And a guy at the University of Haifa wrote a doctoral thesis, and he did interviews, and he claimed that in interviews, the people admitted that they did a massacre. So he was summoned to court, and they played the tapes. The tapes never say it. They deny <laughs> it. They say the opposite. So he says there was no, now he says there was no massacre. But in the meantime, we have the books, six volumes written about the quote not, no mention of the Tantura massacre. They have accounts specifically filed that net- about it, no mention of it. And yet, the lie of Tantura continues, and now new charges came out by the PA and by their supporters, again alleging this. And the world then accepts it without, now, when you have the overwhelming preponderance of evidence, not just from this, but generally, from, from the Palestinian side, the Arab side, and the the, the, the lies continue. So if we don't repudiate and if we don't stand up with the terrorist, if we don't demand that kind of action, you know, we're only giving a license to kill and to, to expand. Yeah. And we, we see how much more people aren't even paying attention to what Iran is doing to from the floating terror bases that they've now built on these big ships some of them hundreds of millions of tons and 10 millions of tons putting missiles on it aircraft uh, uh, drones and other things and they can have these floating bases from which to attack and that means including attacking Israel as they do they can do from from Yemen as well where's where the focus and now there's talk about another deal with releasing $10 billion of the sanctioned money in, in Iraq and $7 billion that that South Korea is holding. this shouldn't even be on the table. There should be no consideration at a time, not only what they're doing in Ukraine, what they're doing in every other aspect. But Iran has been expanding, violating the agreements with the IEA. And this week there's a meeting of the International Atomic Energy Agency. I know people may be tired of hearing it. But we are seeing them move closer and closer. They have a record amount of enriched uranium, 114 kilograms, enough for two bombs. They enriched to 83.7%. We have, I mean, I'm just giving one example of one aspect of what they're doing. To And, and the IEA, the International Atomic Energy, closed two of the inquiries based on the information Israel provided where they found traces of highly enriched uranium in these places. Somehow, all of a sudden, those investigations are now closed. So we're seeing things that will jeopardize the whole region and ultimately the whole world the iran is expanding its naval capacities you know they they the fact that they could circumnavigate the world and go to venezuela and end up back now in oman going through the Panama canal this is a direct challenge and they they're boasting of it i rightfully so i think that that uh and then They attack two more ships in the Persian Gulf and the UAE now pulls out of its Navy, pulls out of the core cooperation group with the other navies because they say, look, you don't respond to this. This is what happens. I mean, so I'm saying you cannot afford indifference because it only multiplies and endangers more and more.
0: It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSigl.com, and on the Nachomsigl Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Parade is Sunday in, is, in, in Israel on Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue, New York City. We can't encourage you enough to be there. Thanks to the Rothenberg Law Firm, InjuryLawyer.com, for sponsoring our coverage of the parade this coming Sunday, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Malcolm Holmline is Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Is that a direct insult to the... Uh, insult. Is that a direct statement or action toward the United States when the UAE decides, you know, we're not getting involved or we're stopping our involvement in trying to stop Iran? Uh, is, is is that complaint directed at the U.S. or is it uh, directed at multiple countries?
1: Well, there multiple countries are guilty of it, but the U.S. is the major force there. Uh, look, I don't know. I haven't spoken to the officials in UAE to get their take on what, what motivated their removal. But this is the speculation of people who are very thoughtful on this issue. They're
0: very practical. You got to give them credit; they're very practical. If they feel there's a there's a, a usefulness to them being involved, they're ready to take action. But if they feel they're being,
1: aban- they feel but they're
0: being they abandoned, they're being abandoned by their partners; they're not going to take any action.
1: And where they feel they have to send a message, uh, they do it. Right. Look, we've had good news this week: at President Herzog's visit to Azerbaijan, welcomed publicly, greeted in a Muslim majority, even Shia majority, both secular. Uh, uh, M- Muslim uh, uh, country, uh, and you see how Iran is reacting to the relationship of Azerbaijan with Israel and Turkey, and making very harsh uh, attacks. You see Japan burgeoning its trade with Israel, talking about the expansive possibilities three and a half billion dollars I think a year uh, already in trade. Greece and Israel this week did joint exercises, something they do twice every year their air forces including refueling and other uh, capacities uh, that that you know those things will never get a mention anywhere but the who the world health organization at the united nations decides again to condemn one country the one country that <laughs> sent field hospitals to the ukraine or to haiti or to any of the other places that treats thousands of palestinian children the save a heart the campaign all of these other things you know that they that's the only country in the world they passed a resolution led by syria and the palestinian delegation. That And what does the resolution say? Does it help them? No. It says that next year, WHO is, is mandated to have to have another session on it. But it's, I mean, it's the most outrageous thing that a country that has raised the standards of health care. Look what Syria did. They destroyed all the hospitals in Turkey and other places. And health care denied to people. And yet only Israel gets, gets slandered and, uh, um, and beat up in, in this way. It's outrageous, but there has to be the kind of protest and, and standing up to it. I think 35 countries have stayed, and the vote itself was 70 to like 13 or 14.
0: You know, you could spend your whole day, and I'm sure sometimes you feel you are, just fighting the U.N. votes. <laughs> you could spend the whole day just trying to set people up to try to deflect some of this you know, blame away from Israel.
1: It is a machine of anti-Israel and I would say even anti-Semitic thing. They are holding a conference in Cordoba, Spain, sponsored by the U.N. office uh, on anti-Semitism. But they are, in fact, a machine producing a lot and, uh, and uh, legitimizing a lot of the anti-Semitism that uh, anti-Jew hatred in the world. And it's, it's um, you know, it's really an outrageous uh, situation. And you can, you know, we could pull our funding, we could do everything, but the overwhelming vote will remain in the UN no matter what Israel does, mm-hmm. or even the US. Is the Erdogan re-election better, quote-unquote, for Israel
0: because it maintains some type of stability in the region or, or not? No matter which candidate would have emerged victorious, uh, the situation wouldn't have been much different.
1: So there, you have the devil, you know, arguments. As you know, I meet every year, several times a year with Erdogan. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he's not young and he's, uh, this is probably his latest term, though people said that over the last 20 years many times. And he, um, uh, and there are people who are saying, you know, they want to see stability because in fact the economy is collapsing, absolutely collapsing in Turkey. And even after the election, the currency went down even further, which is almost unimaginable. And the the uh, you what's know, unimaginable million that million, is that he
0: could be reelected under those conditions.
1: Well, well, that's my what the point of coming. But there was, and there are three and a half million Syrian refugees. I mean, you have such an array of issues, and most of all, you know the complaints about mishand the government mishandling the the aftermath of the terrible earthquake, where they claim fifty thousand died, but everybody in Turkey talks about 100,000 and more. And yet he was able to win, which one shows that the opposition didn't mount the kind of campaign. The, the predictions were that they would win and they would have majority. And, of course, as you know, there was a first vote and he got 49.43% of the vote. And now he got he beat him by four or five points. Uh but now I have to deliver it. it and, and, you know, it's not going to stabilize the situation. But frankly, if the if you had a change in government, it might have been even more destabilizing. Right now, Erdogan has been more friendly. I, would, I wouldn't yet put him across the line in which column uh, to put him, put Turkey. But obviously they've been working. And so the prime minister congratulated him, the president, the Israel congratulated him uh, on his uh, election victory. Turkey is a very important country, an important player, a member of NATO, uh, and we still have an important Jewish community there. So I think right now, if things can move There is stability there, they're obviously becoming more confrontational with Iran. You see Iran's attacks on them and their cooperation with Azerbaijan and with Israel. They are still involved heavily in Syria in the war with PKK, and Iran would like to get them out, I'm sure the Russians as well and by the way we see the new campaign by russia against the american presence in syria we have 900 troops but we know there was a meeting last november with iran and and russia with syria but now that there seems to be this concerted effort at least the secret documents that were released indicate that iran wants to go after the american presence and drive them out
0: and you mentioned earlier about the eighty-five, eighty-seven percent enrichment in regard to Iran, and the uh, at this point, wouldn't it be a and and if I'm if the fact is wrong, just tell me the fact is wrong. But wouldn't it be a better strategy if Israeli leaders at this point and others would just consider would, would just publicly call this irreversible? That we now have a new landscape to deal with in regard to Iran. It's no longer is there an Iran deal, and are we going to allow them to get to a certain point? It's that they've gotten to this point, and now we have to reset and think what we're going to how we're going to deal with it moving forward
1: so there are two parts to that one is yes uh that iran is on an inevitable progression towards a nuclear weapon if it's not stopped it is not too late to stop it and if necessary is we'll have to take the steps to which become more and more complicated as we go along this you know they're building facilities underground and there were a treasure trove of documents released Uh, About Iran's nuclear program coming from internal sources, which I think are, and from information I know, valid, uh, that um, about how expansive their activities are, the drone bases that they've developed, et cetera, the capacity that they build while their people are going hungry, the economy in in Iran is in total freefall and collapse, and the people are ready to take on themselves the additional burden if they could get rid of this. um the terrible regime but we cannot say we accept the fact that iran is going to be a nuclear power this is would be uh so destabilizing and, and start off not only an arms race which is probably going on now with saudi arabia and everybody else you getting money to have nuclear weapons as well as you see that they saudi arabia is pressing the u.s to allow it a domestic Non-military nuclear uh, program, but they all look at it and see: Look, Iran is getting away with this, and and the uh, and I gave you a hint of some of the stories that we see from from one week many things we have about Iran and its provocative actions, not only in support of Hezbollah, Hamas, everybody else. That you know, we know that they were paying; they offered to pitch five million dollars for every day longer that they continued the attack against Israel uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and, and you see the shifts that have taken place in the National Security Council leader in, in Iran was removed and the Omani leaders visit there and he's clearly an intermediary to the West. I don't believe a new JCPOA is being worked on, but I do think that there are negotiations about some sort of an understanding, maybe release of prisoners maybe which will entail then again a release of money. This would be a terrible, terrible mistake. Iran needs the money, even though they're making more from the export of oil, illicit export and exporting Russian oil that's under sanctions. But the the denial to them of the these ten billion dollars or seventeen billion dollars is so critical. There can't be no there is no excuse for us to be negotiating anything that would entail the release. If if Iran wants to show that they have a different face, let them act and and demonstrate it. But we see what they're doing to their own people internally and what they're doing externally, threatening every interest of the United States and of every ally of the United States. It's,
0: it's, it's unfathomable to consider that in Washington, both sides of the aisle are not sitting and fighting with the president to stop Iran. It really, it, it, it just does, it makes no sense, especially the way you just described it. At the moment there will be a public admission from the U.S., Israel, or whoever's reliable, uh, that the Iran situation is completely irreversible. The moment that that this public admission the world's going to be in a complete panic as you just described the arms race will be you know will be on steroids at that
1: point well i don't think the administration has said that it's it's not reversible and they have had been sending envoys to the region you know they they're fighting a, a very difficult battle when you're trying to keep everybody in, in line the, the saudis uae Others but none are, of them would
0: object to killing the deal. Who would object to killing the deal at this point?
1: No, no, there is no deal right now. As I said, I don't think there's a JCPOA being negotiated now. Although the negotiator has taken the lead for reasons that nobody has explained. Maybe it's personal. Maybe, it's, you know, this backdoor stuff going on. Uh, but the visit at the uh, 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 to Oman of American officials and the reports, which we have to clarify yet, um to, and I hope next week I uh, will do that. Uh, the the um, you know the message that goes out is what's important. It's the perception yeah. of of where we stand and how fixed we are on on making sure that nothing is allowed to happen. It's not because U.S. isn't doing anything. U.S. troops in Syria have had some successful. It's against terrorist leaders in, in right, Iraq. Right. I mean, we have so many fronts and so many situations that uh, look, look at Afghanistan now, the border with Iran. They're fighting the Iranians. There's hot fire between them across the border. It has to do with the, the with border uh, rights that Iran claims against Afghanistan. Afghanistan doesn't want to give them. It. And you see them fighting using NATO equipment and U.S. equipment, all of which was left behind in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, yet another terrible blunder. But this whole thing with the UAE's reaction to um, you know feeling abandoned, I-, I think is really significant. And uh, and and you know it's it's really going to become a matter of whether countries in, in the Middle East. I mean, you've said this a million times. Countries in the Middle East need to know that the U.S. has their back. And um, I don't know at this point what's going to reassure them that in fact they do, but. Uh, why did provide the Secretary of State uh, cancel his visit to Israel?
1: He didn't cancel his visit to Israel.
0: But he didn't cancel
1: it. I saw that today's. I didn't know that he had a visit schedule. I know the First Lady. There was talk that she would be. She's going to the Middle East. She's not visiting Israel uh as far as i know i'm not sure that a visit was canceled there are so many visits going on between israel and the united states the and sahih and were here this week there are so many exchanges going on let's not read too much into things i mean obviously while the government's being in formation for the secretary of state to visit would not be the ideal time but there are so many visits in and, and this week i think 40 or 50 members of Knesset ministers and others are visiting for the parade, for the Jerusalem Post Conference, Arusheva Conference, everything. uh, I mean, we get calls every hour of another person who wants a meeting, and it's it's dozen. So there's a lot of interchange going on.
0: Any of those members of Knesset uh, specifically boycotting the parade, or nobody has said that?
1: No, I've not heard of anybody boycotting the parade. I don't know if any of them will participate in the demonstrations at the parade. I doubt it. Uh, but uh, they cover the whole spectrum of uh, parties in the Knesset. We will see you at
0: the parade, Mr. Holmline.
1: I'm willing we'll see you at the parade. And we should uh, remember we have every reason to be optimistic, so we lift up the leadership, the heads of, and means the heads of each Jew that we recognize the importance of every Jew. So every Jew has to understand their importance in the parade and in, Fighting the things that we just scratched the surface and on, if, and, and if you would have,
0: and if you would have told your grandparents that you'd be at the seventy fifth anniversary celebration of the State of Israel, they would have said,
1: they would have it would be incredulous. I mean, obviously they died in concentration camps, but they the idea and they but they died with the on the words Lishanah on their lips. And they would have appreciated it. And our, our parents would have appreciated, did appreciate it. But I don't know that future generations truly appreciate the privilege that we have. And we take it for granted. And it's the biggest mistake you can make is when you take any of these things for granted, you can make a difference. But one of the things is to send the world a message that we stand with Israel, that the true story is not a few people who, who sit down in the streets or who hold those ridiculous signs on the Uh, the sides of the demonstration, but where 99% of the Jewish community is.
0: Well said. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week have a great job. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, with us with a weekly update Fridays here at JM and the AM Parade is Sunday. Thank you to the Rothenburg Law Firm. They are sponsoring our presentation from 5th Avenue and 65th Street in Manhattan. Parade starts at 11 a.m. on 5th Avenue from 57th to 74th Street. Come on out with your friends, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your grandparents, and fill the sidewalks in celebrating Israel's 75th anniversary this coming Sunday. Sunday in New York City, the weather looks like it will be spectacular. Uh, but no matter what the weather is, make sure you're out there to support Israel